0: I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to uh, 1 Timothy, as we come to the end of our series in uh, Paul's letter to Timothy. And uh, we're looking this evening at the last part, which is uh, from verse 11 uh, through to the end of the book, uh, obviously verse 21. So 1 Timothy chapter 6, and beginning at verse 11, let's hear God's word. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which he will display at the proper time he who is the blessed and only sovereign the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, O Timothy, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. This is God's word. So this is the last in our series uh, in uh, Paul's letter to uh, Timothy, his first letter to Timothy. And we've called uh, this series The Church of the Gospel. And the reason why we've called it that is because we're reflecting uh, what we take to be the main theme of the book, which you'll find, uh, if you keep your Bibles open, 1 Timothy chapter 3 and uh, verse 15, where he says, uh, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. And Paul's obviously, when he He's talking about the truth there, he's not talking about mathematical truth or engineering truth or um, scientific truth, he's talking about gospel truth. And so we've summarized the main theme of this book and the main theme of the series is the church of the gospel in reflection of Paul's teaching here, the, the main Um, theme of the books, he summarizes that he's telling us how we ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth of the gospel, the church of the gospel. And by calling uh, our series that phrase, the church of the gospel, we're bringing our attention to one of the unusual aspects of the way that Paul phrases this here, which is, uh, we would tend to think that you would say uh, that the gospel is the foundation for the church, which of course it is. But Paul here is actually saying that there's another way of looking at it, which is actually the church is uh, the pillar and buttress or foundation of the truth. And the reason why he's emphasizing that is because he's urging Timothy to do what he can to ensure that the church over which he has responsibility to serve um, is as healthy as it can be to be fit uh, to get the gospel out, to get the truth out, uh, as we put it here at College Church, to proclaim the gospel. So the purpose of this uh, letter of Paul to Timothy is that Timothy, as uh, uh, Paul's um, representative there in the church in Ephesus, is to do all he can to get the church to be as healthy as it can be, so that it can be a pillar and buttress of the truth of the gospel, that it can be healthy for the gospel to be proclaimed. And it's important that we emphasize and underline that as we think through, as we summarize as we come to the end of this series, how significant it is we think of all the different ways that we can invest our time and our heart and our desire for the world to be transformed and for light to shine, Paul's saying that the key for that is actually the church, the church, the church of the gospel, the, fi- the pillar and foundation of the truth. And if we want the gospel to thrive in our culture, what we need uh, are thriving churches. If we want the gospel to have a healthy impact in our day and our age, what we need are healthy churches that, they, that the gospel might have that impact. So that's the main theme of the book. And as we've seen, there are three pillars that Paul's emphasizing uh, throughout. Uh, the first, uh, and each of them introduced by uh, this, uh, this, uh, this phrase that Paul has to indicate that they are key parts of what he's saying, which is the saying is trustworthy. The first is in chapter 1, verse 15, the first pillar. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost so the first pillar is healthy doctrine if you want a healthy church you need healthy doctrine the second pillar you'll find in chapter 3 verse 1 the saying is trustworthy again notes the same uh, way of phrasing it the saying is trustworthy if anyone aspires to the office of overseer he desires a noble task and then Paul goes on to teach about leadership elders uh, elders and deacons um, so we have healthy doctrine, then healthy leadership, and then the third pillar you'll find in um, verses 8 and 9 of chapter 4, where he says, while bodily training is of some value, godliness, or character, Christian character, godliness is of value in every way as so a holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, referring back to rather than forward to what he's just said. So the third pillar is a pillar of character. So those three pillars, we want a healthy church to have a healthy gospel going out. How are we going to do it? What we need is healthy leadership. What we need is healthy doctrine. What we need is a membership of the church, those who commit in the church who have healthy Christ-like character. That is what will give us a healthy church, and that is what will give us a healthy impact to the gospel on the culture around when we have healthy churches, we'll have a healthy gospel impact. And the way to have healthy churches is for each of those three pillars to be in place. Healthy doctrine, healthy leadership, and healthy character. Now, Paul's a good teacher. Uh, as he comes to the end, is going to repeat himself, <laughs> um, but uh, in a, a new take and new emotive appeal. And actually, this last section that we're looking at this evening circles back to those three main pillars again. In a slightly different order, we have a leadership first, then character, then doctrine. And those are the three aspects of the message and the passage this evening. So first of all, uh, we have uh, leadership, and this runs from verse 11 through to verse 16 And it has a different aspect because Paul is focusing now on Timothy as he calls him, you man of God. Um, The phrase man of God is drawn from the Old Testament. It was used as an honorific title for the prophets of the Old Testament. And Paul, therefore, as he's looking at Timothy, is giving him great impetus and uh, weight to the charge that he's giving him. You man of God. And, and Timothy, as he heard that phrase, man of God, would have had in his mind, Moses, Elijah, Isaiah. Well, now Timothy, you, man of God. So he's talking about leadership, with specifically focusing on, on Timothy. And um, this healthy leadership that he wants here, now Paul gives not only a fresh emotive appeal, you, O oh man of God, but also some fresh teaching about leadership. And there are really three parts of what he says here about leadership. Uh, healthy leadership must have um, uh, the, uh, uh, it must be moral, experiential, and then what I'm going to call eschatological or focused on the end. So moral, uh, first of all, verse 11. But as for you, a man of God, flee these things. What things is he to flee? What we just heard last week from uh, Richard, the, the, um, the covetousness and, agre- and greed He's to flee that. Instead, he's to pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, love, steadfastness, gentleness. So if leadership is to be healthy, it must be moral. It must be pursuing love, steadfastness, gentleness, godliness, faith. But not only must it be moral, it must also be experiential. Verse 12. Fight the good fight of the faith take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession, the presence of many witnesses. So, Timothy, not only must uh, your for your leadership to be healthy, must your moral life be healthy, you must also have an experiential life, a relational experience of Jesus that is vital and active. And I found time and time again as I've, uh, Observed leaders as they begin to either thrive in their leadership or decline. That the experiential, their personal connection to Jesus is absolutely key. And Paul here, I think, is emphasizing it. Fight the good fight. Take hold of the eternal life. Now, Paul isn't just saying, uh, "Make sure you get to heaven." Uh, the eternal life is the life of the age, literally, the life of the age to come, the life of the of the age. Of, of, of the eternal life that now as a Christian we have, because we're in Christ, we now experience that life of the age and then we will experience it in fullness in the age to come when we die and go be, with Jesus in heaven and when Jesus uh, uh, returns we'll have the fullness of that. But right now it isn't just a future thing. We're to take hold of it. We're to experience the, 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 the power of the Spirit. If you're a leader... For your leadership to thrive in whatever area—in small groups, in, and, and as a deacon, uh, 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 serving in adult communities, uh, uh, as an elder, as a pastor—take hold of the life. I—I've uh, I, shared this story um, many times with people I've worked with over the years. I'm not sure whether I've shared it from the pulpit. I don't think I have, but if I have, it's so good I'm going to share it again. But uh, I was—I've been deeply marked. By one man that I worked with um, as a young pastor, who was at the time really quite famous and honoured, and I remember one particular breakfast meeting I had with him. He was so busy; he'd just flown back from Australia, speaking at some conference or other, and he was he just preached, I think, twice on Sunday or something. And then he was going to I was going to go off with him to preach somewhere else that Wednesday, and we were having breakfast on Tuesday. And I said to him, his name uh, it doesn't matter what his name was, but uh, I, I said to him um, how how on earth do you find the time to prepare your sermons i just couldn't figure it out i mean wh- wh- preparing a sermon doesn't just happen by chance it's work and, and, and even if you're very gifted it's still hard work so i said how on earth do you find the time to prepare your sermons and uh he was a, 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 some slightly unusual character we we're having breakfast and he was reading a newspaper and he just kind of rolled down his newspaper and looked at me over the top of it and said, well, I just use my quiet times for that. And I went back to read his newspaper. And I was you know, quite young at the time, though I didn't think I was. I was 25 or something. Um, but then I me- at the, even then, I remember thinking, that doesn't sound quite right. And very sadly, he had a significant moral failing. And those of us who knew him well have analyzed over and over again exactly why and what happened. In my opinion, uh, someone who thought he knew him well but obviously didn't know him well, the key was he wasn't taking hold of the experientially, the life. He had professionalized the ministry too much. He was preaching wonderful sermons. But he wasn't having quiet times, devotional times. Well, Timothy, don't be like that. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal eternal life to which you were called, and about which you made the good confession, the presence of many witnesses. Remember, Timothy, your commitments, not only to um, leadership, but to your relationship with uh, Jesus. Uh, perhaps he's talking about his ordination vows, or maybe he's talking about his baptismal vows. Perhaps both. But if that is um, a weighty remembrance, there's a yet more weighty one to come. So healthy leadership, moral, experiential, but then also what I'm calling eschatological. Eschatology is about the end times and the future, and we could just call it future or vision, but look at this the future vision of Jesus' return, look how then Paul brings to Timothy, when he's talking about his leadership, this whole weight of who God is and what it's going to be like at the coming return of Jesus. And having reminded him of his confession he made in the presence of many human witnesses, he now says, verse 13, I charge you in the presence of God. Uh, that's, that's, That's really... Uh, awesome not in the presence of all these other people but in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession and I was Jesus in his leadership when he was under huge pressure before Pontius Pilate stood up and accounted and didn't uh, for for God's calling upon his life and didn't cave in but stood firm you Timothy keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until here's the eschatology the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, leadership, Christian leadership, is only ever a stewardship. The church is never ours. It's his. The ministry is never ours. It's his. I always uh, get slightly nervous when someone says about some other church, whether some well-known pastor, it's so-and-so's church. No, it's not. It's Jesus' church. And it's not merely, I think, a terminological difference. We, elders, deacons, Bible study leaders, pastors, we are merely stewards. We have a stewardship until the appearing of Jesus. And Paul's urging Timothy to have healthy leadership, to have that stewardship clearly in mind, eschatologically, the coming return of Jesus, which, when he appears, verse 15, then. Uh, verse 15, which he will display at the proper time, that is, the time that only God knows. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Paul is layering on description after description of what the presence of God will truly be like at the coming return of Jesus so that the leadership that Timothy is to model is healthy, so the leadership of the whole church is healthy. So first of all, leadership, so he cycles back to these key pillars, which are three, of course, and this leadership one he picks up first in this summary part of the, of the book at the end. Uh, but not only a leadership character, which he's addressed from a number of different angles, and this one is a particular angle specifically about the rich the wealthy. Now, as we look at this text about the rich and the wealthy, of course, we have to be aware that from a global perspective, every single person, I, I would say, or at least most of us in this room, are rich. From a global perspective. But then, of course, from a Chicagoland perspective, some of us are more rich than others. So we, we all need to apply it, and some need to apply it more closely than, than others do. Paul says, as to the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves. Um, And then he's looking, of course, uh, to the coming return of Jesus again. So what does he say to the rich? He tells them two things not to overestimate, And one thing not to underestimate. So first of all, to uh, this character of the rich, um, don't overestimate your own value. He says, charge them not to be haughty. Uh, Rich, do not overestimate your own value. It's very easy when you're wealthy to begin to think that you're more important than you truly are. (laughs) Um, you have a VIP pass. You can get into those uh, rather nice seats at the uh, baseball stadium. And uh, when you're wealthy, everyone starts to treat you slightly differently. At least I'm told. I've never been wealthy myself, but that's what I hear. And it's so easy, isn't it, if you have done very well in business, you've made a whole bunch of money, easy to begin to think that... Uh, you know, That really we're quite special. We've made a lot of money and other people haven't. We've got the secret source. But truly, it's all God's blessing, isn't it? And so we must not overestimate our own value. We are are not valued by our bank balance. We should not be haughty if we are um, wealthy. So don't overestimate our own value. Also, do not overestimate our own security, so Paul says, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. It's a funny thing that money, part of the the power of money over people's lives, is it seems to give us great security. But of course, it's a mirage, isn't it? You only have to watch the stock market to know that. And you can make a whole bunch of money and then lose it. And maybe make a whole bunch more money. But, but money doesn't feel like that to, to most people. It feels very secure. If you want security, you get money. But of course, actually, riches are very uncertain. So we shouldn't, uh, if we are wealthy, do not overestimate our own value and do not overestimate our own security. Our security, of course, is in God, not in our money. This is true for everyone. And there's nothing exactly, nothing wrong with money. And Paul says here, richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Um, Life is to be enjoyed uh, under God. There's nothing wrong with enjoying what God has given us. Paul encourages the rich to do so. But don't overestimate uh, your own uh, value and don't overestimate your own security. What are you not to underestimate? Verse 18, they are to do good to be rich in good works and generous and ready to share. It's easy to underestimate, if you're wealthy, the impact that your life as a generous man or woman can have. When I talk to people who are very wealthy, sometimes it seems as if, Uh, Such individuals don't always realize the the extraordinary impact they are having, they could have, even more. Uh, The truth is, and there are books that have been written about this, um, I think one has got the title Patrons that Advance the Gospel, Gospel Patrons. The truth is that throughout the history of the church, God has been pleased to use the generosity of his people to advance his kingdom. Uh, one of the most famous examples of this in uh, church history is a woman called the Countess of Huntingdon. The Countess of Huntingdon was a very, very wealthy aristocrat in the 18th century and was the patron for George Whitfield, the famous evangelist and many others as well. And the Countess of Huntingdon, in order to advance the gospel in England at the time, uh, you couldn't do church planting. Um, you couldn't just start up a new church unless you were an aristocrat And then you could put a chapel on your own land. So what the Countess of Huntington did was she used her immense resources to buy a a whole bunch of land in England and put a whole bunch of chapels on it. And then therefore do church planting. And still, I mean, hundreds of years ago, still occasionally you'll come across a Huntington Connection church. And and on and on, it's happening today, but it's easy, isn't it, I think, if we are wealthy to begin to think life, uh, become comfortable, maybe even lazy, and underestimate the impact that our lives can have on the progress of the gospel locally and globally. So don't overestimate your own value, don't overestimate uh, your security um, but also don't underestimate the impact that your life can have, not only um, in advancing the kingdom, but then storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, investing in, uh, in heaven where moths cannot eat and rust does not destroy, as Jesus puts it. So a healthy church for a healthy gospel, these three pillars that he's circling back to again, first of all, leadership, leadership, Moral, experiential, and eschatological. Then character, particularly from the angle of the wealthy. Why particularly from the angle of the wealthy? I think because, and we looked at the the parallel passage to this last week that Richard did so well, where this, um, the, the contentment being the solution to coveting. Because so often false teaching, which was the problem that was taking place in Ephesus, that Paul is urging Timothy to counter with this healthy church. So often false teaching, it seems to be the case in Ephesus, comes along with, a, with a, a heterodox, unhealthy appeal to the base motivations. Money, materialism, that kind of thing. But what is the right motivation? Well, to use your resources for the kingdom of God. And that's what Paul is urging upon the rich at the church that uh, Timothy is being asked to serve. Well finally we come to doctrine, verse twenty, and there's something here to guard and something to avoid. Oh Timothy, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. So the deposit is the deposit of the gospel, the doctrine. Now you notice that Paul has given two things to charge charge Timothy of two things. I charge you this with relation to leadership. I charge you to charge them with a relation to character, particularly the rich. But now similar <coughs> kind of instruction but it's not charge it's guard so while we are to advance the kingdom and to make progress to the kingdom and that's a charge, go advance doctrine we are to guard we do not advance doctrine we guard it it's a treasure that must be protected and guarded we must guard it. And he's urging him to do so. I mean, you know, the, the, oh, Timothy, the, the passion of Paul. Oh, Timothy, guard this. It's so important, so um, valuable, this treasure. Guard the deposit entrusted to you. So he's got to guard the doctrine. Um, we might put it like this: put a stake in the ground and say, We stand on the Bible, guard it. Don't move from it. Advance the kingdom, be creator with ministry efforts, but doctrine, guard. So we guard the deposit, and then he says, avoid. What, do you, what is Timothy to avoid? Avoid the, uh, Paul can sometimes be so rude when it comes to false teaching, avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions or what is falsely called knowledge. I wonder what Paul would say about some of the false teaching we hear about today. <laughs> probably he's referring to the early beginnings of what later became the heresy of Gnosticism. Gnosticism means knowledge, and that's probably what he's referring to. There was probably early, an early form of Gnosticism that was beginning to develop. Uh, we don't know for sure, but probably but in any and, and Gnosticism, uh, certainly full-blown later Gnosticism, had all sorts of, and I've read some of it, it, had all sorts of weird, contradictory ideas. It was a sort of mysticism drawn from the Eastern mystical cultic religions of the, of the Roman Empire at the time that were, were then sort of married along with Christian doctrine, all these different aeons and these contradictory ideas and mystical elements that became at the heart of, of Gnosticism. And that was probably already beginning. Uh, but even if it wasn't that, it is a characteristic of false teaching, that it tends to be uh, babbling, and uh, contradictions uh, the deposit must be guarded and doctrine true biblical doctrine is marked by clarity um, an elegant simplicity definitiveness an appropriate kind of biblical authority False teaching is always marked by strange, babbling, contradictory ideas that, frankly, no one can make head nor tail of, but those who are experts and are getting paid to pontificate about it pretend that they understand what they're saying. Oh, don't, uh, Paul says to Timothy, avoid, what, what should you do about all that? Avoid it. Don't read that stuff. Don't go there. Avoid it. Guard the good deposit, avoid the false teaching. Why? Because it's uh, uh, by professing it, some will swerve from the faith. So there is Paul's letter to Timothy. A healthy gospel requires a healthy church. A healthy church has these three pillars uh, leadership, doctrine, and character. And as he circled back through it again, he has emphasized leadership around moral, experiential, and eschatological and uh, character particularly for the rich to not overestimate your value or overestimate your security nor underestimate the impact that your life can have and then when it comes to doctrine instead you advance creatively ministry efforts but you guard the doctrine and you avoid the false teaching and then with all that in mind as Paul finally summarizes, he makes sure we understand this isn't really just written to Timothy, it's written to the whole church. He says, grace be with you, or as uh, the footnotes of most Bibles put it, grace grace be with you all, uh, which as we know in Greek is grace uh, be with all your all. (laughs) Healthy church, healthy gospel, healthy leadership, healthy character, healthy doctrine. Why does it matter? Because the gospel must advance. And for that we need a healthy church. Let's pray together. Our Lord God, we do thank you for Paul and his boldness and clarity. Uh, We thank you for your word. We do pray, Lord, that we would be people of healthy character Help us, Lord, if we're all rich, or most of us, I suppose, are rich in one way or another here, help us to not to underestimate the impact that the generosity of our giving can, can have. Uh, we saw uh, Melissa commissioned this morning, and uh, many other things like that, Lord. Uh, help us also, Lord, to guard the, the good deposit, um, to have an experiential connection with you, And uh, we pray, therefore, Lord, that uh, the gospel would thrive in this area, and not only locally but also globally, as this, your church, uh, becomes increasingly healthy, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.